There it is. We've spent about three weeks uh, just on this whole idea of uh, this word baptism that is contained in uh, uh, verses 3 and 4 because it has such rich significance. And um, unfortunately, that rich significance is often missed because of, um, of a debate that exists in the Christian church over the issue of the sacrament of baptism. And I, and I wanted, I, I tried to think of something that would, but I really, this is really not very, this is really not very incisive or even creative, but I, it does summarize. Um, if you've heard me say that, I mean, if, if by what I have taught, you have heard something like this, um, you've kind of gotten the gist of what I've said. But there's, uh, that is, this word that, we, that it is mentioned in verses 3 and 4 of baptism had, uh, leads us to the, a discussion of the doctrine of union, the union of Christ, or union with Christ. But let me show you, or at least, how it does that. That is, what we're talking about really is the baptism of the Holy Spirit into Christ indeed does equal union with Christ. Um, because what we're... What, the, what Paul is aiming us towards when he uses this idea of baptism is, of course, what he has in mind is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the thing that, uh, that um, joins us to Christ and leads us to this discussion of union with Christ. Let me, let me show you what I think is the key text in, in the New Testament, or at least in this regard. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and you really ought to look at it with me. So if you can find 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it would be beneficial. It's in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And this is what I think summarizes what is in view in Romans chapter 6. For, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, you see what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, that by this one act of the Spirit's work and regeneration, we were baptized into one body. And that word into is rather significant as well, because it signifies a participation in all of the privileges which Christ embodies. And I, and I think that's a somewhat of a decent summary of what we're talking about when we talk about union with Christ. That is, a participation in all of the benefits, all of the privileges which, Christ's, which Christ embodies. And the first one that is mentioned in our text, of course, is that we, have, um, we, have, we are baptized into his death which, of course, is his theme because he mentions that in verse 2. That is, certainly not, how shall we who died to sin? And so the question becomes, how then did we die to sin? Okay, then he moves on in verse 3 to say, or were you not informed? That I mean, you should be informed. You should know this. 
that as many as were baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ via regeneration were also baptized, that is, um, become partakers of the benefits of His death. We have been joined to Christ in all of His privileges, in all of His benefits, and the first one that He mentions is, of course, the death of Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. And so the key issue that I want you to see here is that Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 is not about a sacrament. It's about the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that work, we are joined to Christ and thus are enabled to have this discussion about union with Christ. Baptism by water is not in view in in Romans 6 at all. It is the baptism that is wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, now, now let me remind you of the context, guys. Um, Paul is refuting a charge that has been brought against his teaching, which is found in verse 1. The charge is, well then, okay, Paul, if what you're teaching is correct, shall we sin that grace may abound? And um, his main argument against that um, criticism is, no, 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 no. We are dead to sin. Well, how was that accomplished? By baptism. Not the sacrament. By baptism of the Holy Spirit that joins us to Christ. And then in verses 3, really through 5, Paul uh, speaks about what all that implies. That is, what that baptism implies. Um, and uh, the first thing that he mentions is that we're identified with his death. By the way, next fall we'll see, Lord willing, that verses 6 through 10 is all he's doing is giving you more illustrations of those, those benefits that are now ours because we are in union with Christ. Uh, baptized into Christ, which makes us co-participators and what has happened to him. That's a good word, guys. Co-participators in all that's happened to him. Let me show you just something that came up in my own um, devotions this morning. If you can find Galatians 2 real quick. This idea of being a co-participator. Um, I think it was John Stott who said this. I could be wrong about that. But John Stott called Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the most difficult verse in the New Testament. I think it was Stott who said that. But um, look at verse 20 of Galatians 2. But it begins with this idea of being a co-participator. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now see, that is not mentioned over here in in, uh, um, Romans 6. But because of this merging of his people with himself, this mutual um, um, indwelling, I am identified with his death. Over here in Galatians 2, it is mentioned that I am identified with his crucifixion. That is, I am 
crucified with Christ. The difficult part of the verse comes later uh, when he says, uh, nevertheless I live, but yet not I. And, you know, that, that's the difficult part that Stott was referring to. But my point is, you see Paul there saying, I am a co-participator in the crucifixion of Christ. How? When did that happen? Well, it happened when I got baptized into Christ. I'm identified with His death. I'm identified with His crucifixion, which are really one and the same thing, but different words, of course. Um, But what Paul is describing here is not something that you feel. He is not describing something that you may even experience or, or get all fuzzy over. It is some, he is describing something that is true. He is describing our status. Um, you are crucified with Christ. Do you feel that? Well, maybe not. But he's not describing your feeling. He is, he is, uh, we, he is not trying to describe something that ought to happen to us. He's not describing something that is going to happen to us. He is describing something that has happened to us. And it has happened to us in this great work of regeneration when we were baptized into this one body, this one body of Christ. Um, And as a result of being baptized into His body, we have died to this realm of sin, which really brings us full circle, guys. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We're back to verse 2. What does he mean? We have died to this realm of sin. How did we die to this realm of sin? We are identified, well, because we are identified with Christ's death. Well, how did that happen? It happened when we were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Do you see that? That's his argument against people who are suggesting that his doctrine creates the opportunity to sin more. And he says, how how could you possibly think that way? Because you have died to sin. I did? When? You died when you were baptized into his death. Well, what does that mean? What are you referring to, Paul? I'm referring to the great work of the central baptism of the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has joined us and made us co-participators with Jesus Christ. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that there are very few things as important for us to understand than that. However, you say, well, that's kind of hard to understand. And I say, you're absolutely right. (laughs) It is. And and it's not that it's so mystical. It's just so um, unexperienced. You know what I mean? It It is unfelt. And because it is unfelt, it seems unreal. The things that are really real to us are the things... I mean, I know what it means to be hungry. Because there was once, about 15 years ago, that I did feel a pang of hunger. One time, I think. Um, I know it because I felt that. But I have not felt this. But guys, 
I'm, that's what I'm trying to communicate. Paul is not trying to describe an experience. He is trying to describe your status. And your status is as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are in union with Christ and thus a co-participator in all that he did. Um, guys, this is, um, is so critical in the life of the believer as we try to flesh out our relationship to Christ because I'm telling you, um, everything rests on it. Your justification rests on it. That is, you are justified because you are in union with Christ. Um, uh, our sanctification rests uh, on the fact that you are identified with uh, and, and in union with Jesus Christ. Guys, the great message of the gospel is not simply that I've been forgiven. The great message of the gospel is not even that I have been justified. The great message of the gospel is that we are in union with Christ. And everything is, is, is resting on, the weight of our souls rests on the fact that we are in union with Christ. My justification stands or falls. My sanctification stands or falls because, uh, or in my relationship to Christ in, uh, in being in union with Him. Tough stuff? Okay, I'll grant you that if, if, if you like. So that's why we need to sing it. We need to study it. We need to discuss it. We need to debate it. We need to... Uh, I, I'm telling you, one of the reasons, guys, th that it is so critical to review what we sing is because what we sing has to communicate these things. We, we need to be reminded over and over and again that you are in union with Christ and thus you are safe. The, the one thing that he mentions here is, of course, you are baptized into his death. But then in verse 4, he moves on to give you something else. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Okay, the same baptism. What else did that baptism of the Holy Spirit do? Well, it identified us not only with his death, but also with his burial. So, guys, burial being that thing which is the final proof of death um, through this same baptism... I am identified with his burial as, as, as well. Now, guys, uh, here's where things get a, not, not a little tricky, but um, um, thank God it doesn't stop with burial. Notice how the text unfolds. Baptized into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead. Paul doesn't stop by saying you are identified with his death and his burial. But you are also now identified with His resurrection. Um, gang, I, I want you to see one text because I think it's, it's, it's another text. If you can find Acts chapter 2, 
Look at that one real quickly, and that'll be the last one we'll look at tonight. And Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 24. It's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and it says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Now, here's the clause I want you to see. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, now look, folks. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. One of the reasons being because it was not possible that he should be held by it. How, why is it not possible that Jesus Christ could be held by death? Well, here's the answer. <laughs> because death, guys, is the punishment of sin. And sin has been dealt with. So, Christ's resurrection is the ultimate proof that sin has been dealt with completely and finally. If, sin, if death is the punishment of sin and Jesus has dealt completely with sin, then death can no longer have him. Death must yield him. Death must give him up because there is no more sin for death to punish. Now, guys... I say that to say this. I just said that death could not hold Jesus because sin has been finally and ultimately and completely dealt with and paid for. And you are a co-benefactor of that complete and final and total work. So I am not. I am a. I am a co-participator in his death. I am a co-participator in his burial. I am also a co-participator because I'm in union with Christ, having been baptized into His body by the Holy Spirit. I am also a co-participator. In his resurrection. Um, now, guys, if the resurrection means that sin has been finally and ultimately dealt with, then what does it mean for you? If sin has been, and, and the resurrection proves that it has, that it has been ultimately and completely and totally dealt with, and I'm in union with Christ, then what does that say about my sin? It has been totally and ultimately and completely dealt with. I know you did that. And I wish you hadn't have done that. It was bad that you did that. It wasn't good that you did that. And let's not tell anybody that you did do that. But my friends, your sin has been ultimately and totally and completely dealt with. There is a sense in which, ladies and gentlemen, that the most critical words in the entire New Testament 
are words that are spoken from the cross when Jesus says, It is finished. And, I, you know, I, I've commented on that before from the pulpit. Our, our, normally we think of Jesus as what He is saying is, well, finally, this whole humiliating work of mine at Calvary's cross is over and, and I don't have to suffer here anymore on this Roman cross. It's finally finished. That's not what is intended nor said in the, in, in, or meant in the slightest. What Jesus is saying is, through this work of mine, the sin of my people, all of it, Yes, even that one. The sin of my people has been totally and completely dealt with. And the proof that it has is that He was resurrected. Death cannot hold him because there is no more sin to keep him. And I am in union with that. My sin, ladies and gentlemen, need no longer plague me. And at night, when Satan is whispering into your ear, but don't you remember what you did in college? It is totally and completely dealt with. And I am in union with that. Guys, can you see how, for instance, that's why I went out of my way to talk about assurance a couple of Can you see why assurance is tied to union with Christ? Very frankly, any assurance that you may have that is not tied to union with Christ is false assurance. Because... Why don't you give up that false one you got? Because I got a better one to offer you. One that is so enormously safe. Because I am baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit of God. Guys, we've only got six minutes. So there's one other other dimension that I want you to see. And then we'll stop for tonight. Um... That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now guys, I'm about to do something that you never ought to do. Um, All I'm going to do, I'm doing this for sake of clarity. I hope this will be... I'm about to insert some words into the text, okay? I mean, you don't ever tamper with the text, ladies and gentlemen. You know, uh, very honestly, what we ought to do on Sunday mornings is come read the Bible, pray and go home, and skip Jimmy's inane comments. But, but I, I'm, for the sake of explaining the text, I, I want to try to insert some words, and I'm not really sure where I want to insert them, but something like this. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... And he lived a new life. There's the insertion. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. 
Now, the idea that Christ's resurrection led to a new life for him is assumed in this text. He was resurrected, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and the assumption that Paul is making is that his audience understands that that resurrection on the part of Jesus led to a different and new kind of life for Jesus. You remember how different it was. You remember he passed through walls, which he couldn't do before, you know? It was a, it was a new dimension that was added to Christ. So, let me go back and add those words again. Now, they're not in there, so I'm just trying to hopefully explain better. Um, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, which led to an altogether new life experience, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, guys, do you understand? Go back to his argument in verses 1 and 2. He is trying to stop the mouths of an objector who said, Well, Paul, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you believe like you do, Paul, people are going to go out and sin just bunches. And Paul says, No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You died to sin. And then he teaches us this wonderful ideas that we are co-participators in the, in the great work of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that that means is, I too have resurrected to a newness of life. How could anyone who has resurrected to a newness of life Go sin and have a good time at it. Do you understand, guys? I mean, this is the little argument that Paul has put together to silence the mouths of folks who say the doctrine of justification by faith alone leads to loose living. He is saying, that is unthinkable. It is unthinkable because you were baptized into Christ. Which means you became a co-participator in all of His great benefits. His death, yes. His burial, yes. His crucifixion, yes. His resurrection, yes. His newness of life, yes. That too. I am, I am identified intimately with all that Christ has accomplished and everything that he accomplished led to this new lease to a different life. And that's who we are. What a gross misunderstanding of what the New Testament teaches to hint that one could possibly dream of living An unchanged life. How could possibly, how could anyone possibly suggest such a notion that one who has been baptized into Christ would then say, Ah, this has now given me greater liberties.
to go sin. That is unthinkable. And so this whole argument is to silence that argument, this, that is, is to silence that objection. But as he does it along the way, he gives us this great insight, not to your feelings, not to an emotion, not to an experience. He gives you this grand insight to a new status. You have been transferred out of a domain of sin and death into a whole new domain under the reign of grace. Those people, they live different lives. We'll resume our study of the book of Romans, Lord willing, in September. That is, if you're still alive and I'm still alive and the session has not fired me. See you then. Let's pray. Our fathers, we thank you for your word. We are, um, we are novices at handling it. And for many, these concepts of union with Christ are, are being heard for the first time. And they are still so foreign to our spiritual ears. Father, give us a greater comfort with them. Not simply, not simply more information stuck in our brains, but a greater appreciation from which we can draw the great and vast benefits of a gospel of grace that says to sinners, by faith, men are now transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. And over in this kingdom of light, everything is different. Everything has changed. All the rules, all the, the desires, all the priorities, all the values, all of it is now different because we live under the reign of a new king. Thank you for the privilege that is mine to try and convey these truths to your precious people who long to understand them better. Father, might what has been said here tonight aid us all in grasping the beauties and the profundities of grace. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.